Welcome everyone, I'm Mo, the CEO and founder at Product Faculty. In this podcast, we'll be speaking with Manik Gupta, the former Chief Product Officer of Uber, about what it takes to be a great product manager, why product leaders must adopt a platform thinking mindset if they want to be successful in capturing key trends in tech, and the importance of understanding product growth, even if you're not in that function. Enjoy. You've had the opportunity to hire and develop a lot of PMs. What have you seen that sets apart the strongest PMs from the rest? I would kind of boil it down to three things. The first is a genuinely high energy and curiosity about everything. So that genuine curiosity and that high energy really sets people apart as strong PMs because a large part of the job, in my opinion, is really about exciting people and getting them motivated to go after a big problem. The second one is exemplary communication skills. I can't endorse that enough, especially given what we are doing right now in the world today where everything is remote and having the ability both written and spoken communication. I know this is something which everybody talks about, but for PMs, I feel this is even more important because you have to synthesize information and expand on the information on a very frequent basis. The third one is low ego and collaboration. This is all about people's intention of bringing out the best in others and amplifying the best ideas, amplifying the best voices, uh, or amplifying everyone's voices, rather, in the room, as opposed to just uh, you know sitting on your soapbox and trying to sort of be in charge of everything. I think low ego PMs are, are the ones who ultimately, in my mind, succeed because they come across as people who genuinely have the interests of the customer and the team at heart, and uh, they end up building much more successful products. Aside from solving immediate customer needs, product managers are also innovating on where their product should head in the future. Knowing that, how do product managers develop their long-term thinking skill set? How do PMs pick up on key trends? You know, when you're building a product, you're not building a product in isolation, right? You're building a product to solve a customer pain point, but at the same time, given the pace of change in our industry and in general, the customer needs and customer behaviors also change. And you're also not building your product in isolation where your competitor is not doing anything. You have a lot of competitors who are also pulling and pushing in different directions. So to me, I think there are two things I would say. One is really adopt a platform thinking mindset. At this stage in the technology industry, at least, there are lots of, uh, there are very few platforms and ecosystems. And all these are big companies. They're multi-trillion dollar companies at this point, which is just incredible to see as a technology industry. And it's very important for a PM, regardless of what product you're working on, to keep a very close eye on what these companies are doing. But of course, there are certain facets of these companies which are important, especially the platform ones. Like, for instance, where is Android going? Where is iOS going? Uh, What is Facebook doing with its social graph and so on? Because that will have very interesting impacts in terms of your long-range thinking. So that's one aspect that I frequently think about. The second is... Technology also, my observation is technology also moves in waves. So you have these tech waves that come in. So so the first wave was about really the websites. Then when mobile came out, it all became about apps and app stores. And then social came out and it was all about the like button everywhere and the friends graph. You know, the like button is, is, is not, an, it's not been around for that many years, right? Uh, then you have this phase where you have a lot of on-demand companies like the Ubers of the world. And that, you know, over there it was about, You just push a button and you get something. Something physically happens in the real world when you push a button and it comes to you, right? Um, And there's a lot of talk these days about machine learning and AI with 
computer vision, self-driving. So there's a lot of these interesting trends that are happening. As a PM, you have to really keep a track on all the evolution there and then contextualize that to your product. And it's, it's an always evolving thing. When you think about you know, large traditional enterprises, they know the importance of innovation. They understand it, but they often fail at it. You know, Uber has successfully been able to launch multiple category-defining businesses. And it's almost like innovation is a process. You look at Uber Freight, Uber Money, Uber Aviation, you just go on and on. It seems like Uber is just innovating as a process. You know, what can traditional companies learn from Uber? By design, Uber really set up cross-functional teams and gave them a lot of autonomy. So whenever there was a new bet that was being formed, it was formed pretty much with like all the functions and you give them a lot of autonomy, typically with one or two leaders and, and ask them to just go run hard at that problem. Give them resources, give them funding, give them air cover to just go for it. There was a lot of debate within Uber around why are we duplicating things, right? Because imagine if you're an engineer and you're working on that team, you're probably writing code you know, to build your own platform versus taking dependency on a platform that already exists, right? They made it possible for people to just do that, right? You had permission to just duplicate stuff and not worry too much about efficiencies initially. But uh, there was a lot of uh, latitude for company, for, for teams to build their own product, build their own stack, build their own processes and not worry too much about duplication and just run hard at the problem. And then the other thing was uh, the culture. Like you put people in charge who have de demonstrated that they have the ability and the natural inclination to be these builders and the zero to one people. You know, there are people who just love attacking a problem from scratch and then building the first set of products. They may not be the same set of people who actually scale it later on because that requires a different skill set. But I, I, I would argue that finding the right set of people initially to kind of have the kernel of your team, which is going after the problem, is a really important one. When you think about launching a new business that is at Uber scale, how do you keep your teams motivated when they're just at the beginning of that experience? How do you keep them motivated to capture that product vision? If you are going to go after a big market and you want to become a big product in terms of number of users and the impact that you create, you have to have a very ambitious mission. The mission for Google Maps was to map the real world as it changes. This also means because the world keeps changing, you are never done. So if you have such an ambitious mission, you automatically have team members who understand that whatever work they're doing, it's in service of that mission. And that mission is almost like a timeless mission. So it gives you very long range thinking by, by default. The challenge comes when you take that mission and you create a product vision out of it or a company vision out of it, which has to be more concrete, right? It has to be something that people can relate to. Otherwise, they'll be like, how do I relate my work to this ambiguous, timeless mission? So again, at Google Maps, I think we did a really good thing where we evolved the vision, the product vision over time. At every milestone, when we went from desktop to mobile, there was a big change in terms of vision. On desktop, it was about giving you all the information in a rich format. You could have the satellite imagery, you can have the street view imagery, and so on. But when you went to mobile, it was all about condensing it and giving you a turn-by-turn -turn navigation in your cell phone, which was a pretty crazy idea at that time, that you can just get in your car, put in the destination and it will start navigating you and it will give you GPS directions where you don't need to buy a GPS unit. This, by the way, is going to be better, right? It's going to be more real time and so on. So I think your product vision has to be something that you recalibrate every few quarters, years to make sure that the team is headed in the right direction. But you can always point your vision 
to the mission. And as long as you have a long range mission, I think you will always do the right thing and you'll inspire people to stick it through. And then of course you'll have all the kind of feedback loops coming in that you're doing the right thing. You had a team of over a thousand employees, not just product, but data science and the whole other functions. How do you keep the over 1,000 employees, all the vectors moving in the same direction? What are some tips and tricks there? Just to give you a concrete example, at Uber, we, when, when I was a CPO, what we used to do was to start, we, we used to do planning annually. So as part of our annual planning, we will come up with the company level goals, which will be decided at an executive level. And then you take those goals and then you kind of cascade that to what the product team can do together with the engineering, right? Because that's, that's really where a lot of the work happens. So you basically do a lot of uh, activity around getting the best ideas out there from people, but at the same time being very clear that these are the top goals that we want to hit as a company. Then the question is, what are the projects that are going to be the ones that, that we want to align on? And you spend some time aligning on those projects, making sure that the right people are staffed on it. You could be thinking as a product leader that here are my three priorities and yeah, everybody's working on them. But when you actually examine and look at where people are spending their time, they might be completely different. So you have to have the right framework to make sure that you have the, not only the projects defined, but then you have the uh, people resources uh, allocated to it. And then you just track it. And then it kind of goes back to the point I was making earlier, which is about repeating it, making sure people are on the same page. Whenever there are conflicts, you make decisions fast. A lot of those things just get into aligning the team and keeping them all in the same direction. What is your opinion on product managers understanding the importance of product growth? When you think about there are so many things competing for our attention right now, if you're not on the first page, you're ignored. What's your thoughts on product growth as a core skill set that product managers should understand? I think it's really important that PMs early on understand how to bring customers to their product. And the good news is that there are lots of good playbooks out there now where people have tried this in multiple different companies, especially maybe because things are remote right now, you're seeing an, an, an explosion of very good insights. People who are coming out and giving tons of insights and frameworks and newsletters and learn from people who have already done it and then see what are the mistakes they made so you don't make those mistakes. I, I also think that there are certain inflection points that typically happen when you are building product, uh, when it comes to growth. So oftentimes people will say, well, I already have a product that let's say has a million users, right? I don't need to worry about growth. That's not the best way to think about things because there are all these inflection points. One inflection point that I've seen that happens is when you go from one geography to multiple geographies, that's like a big growth vector, right? And how do you manage that? Because now you're competing with somebody else's turf, you need to localize, you need to do a lot of that stuff. So you need to sort of understand how to manage that part of growth. The second growth level that I've seen or the vector I've seen is when you go from a one product to a multi-product company, do you share the same customers? Do you have a different customer base? How does that really work? How does a you know, customer journey between these products work? So that's another part of the growth, right? The third is you could be just coming up with a brand new feature set, right? And that feature set itself, you have to think about it as if it was a mini product in itself. And how are you going to grow it? So the ability to understand what the growth levers are, where are the values, how do you test things, how do you experiment, how are you able to you know, really leverage Google and Facebook, which are kind of the gatekeepers to a large extent today from a customer acquisition standpoint, um, how do you sort of monetize that appropriately? I think a lot of those skill sets, uh, the good news is that there are lots of data available out there and best practices, but, but 
Traditionally, PMs tend to ignore this, and I think that's a miss. So, you know, your question is very timely. I would really give a big call, big call to action for people to sort of learn those skill sets because they're going to become more and more important. If you were to go back and look back at things, and you were, if you were to prioritize things differently as a product leader, knowing what you know now, what would those things be? That learning how to connect your work to business outcomes is something I would have prioritized earlier because I, I would have just become better at it. I had to learn that pretty fast at Uber. But at Google, and even earlier in my career, if I had learned that, I would have been a better PM. If you look at the product job today, a lot of, lot of collaboration and a lot of interdependency uh, exists between product managers and data scientists because experimentation and data-driven experimentation is becoming a very, I mean, it's always been important, but it's becoming even more important because the uh, experimentation is getting democratized so everyone can do it. So I would have prioritized you know, some of the data science techniques. As a PM, I would have prioritized learning that earlier. You've left Uber and you've started CV Key Project. So what inspired you to start CV Key Project? And what are some trends that you see in privacy that are noteworthy? I co-founded a nonprofit in April this year. It's called cvkeyproject.org. The genesis of that is we were very focused on how can society reopen responsibly from COVID-19? Because as we all, at least in the United States, as we have seen, there's been a big spike of cases, and then it started going down, society reopened, and then the cases started going up again, and then they closed down again. And we kind of predicted that this is what's going to happen. So we built a set of apps that have three things. Like it, it allows an individual to check their symptoms against COVID-19. They get detailed communication with regards to what are the policies in place in their community. And then they also get an ability to enter buildings as long as they are certified safe by the community policies. Our goal was to move the conversation forward. And a bunch of us, it's about 30 people. We are all volunteers. It's a nonprofit. And most of us are from Google or Uber. So we have done a lot of these physical world, digital world sort of combinations. And our goal was to kind of move the conversation forward and build this really important health status, health verification kind of a system. In terms of privacy, one is um, people are demanding that their data is uh, managed in the appropriate way more and more. So I would see one of the trends is going to be users will have more and more control and they'll demand more control over the data. They'll like to understand how the data is being used. And the second is there is a concept of differential privacy that's picking up a lot of steam right now, which is about how do you create a privacy architecture where, where you don't have to share your personal data, but through some sort of cohort analysis, you can have enough information so that you can still provide the service but not sacrifice an individual's privacy. Our job was at CVKey was to make sure that we use the best that's out there. We haven't deployed differential privacy to that level. We have taken an approach where your data never leaves your phone. So there's nothing in the cloud. So there are all these new techniques that will come up and I think people will adopt products because they value their privacy in a much more important manner. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe and check us out at productfaculty.com where we offer the number one ranked product management course for experienced product managers, product leaders, and product executives. Thank you.